Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. used to have a lot of migraines. So I'm a lifelong migraine sufferer and I would get migraines with aura. So I'd get these blind spots as like a part of a normal symptom for my migraines. In like such a fast motion, it like swam up my neck and exploded into my head. And this pain was like, (laughs) I just, I don't know how to describe this pain. It was like, I was in so much pain. It was almost like, I did some kind of dissociating thing where the pain was like this entity bearing down on me. I was 30 years old at the time. Like, I certainly didn't say, hey, I think I'm having a stroke, you know. It was the farthest thing from my mind, to be honest with you. I'm healthy. My blood pressure's always been good. Six days later, I went back to work. (laughs) I didn't know what had happened. Doctors told me it was just a migraine, so I'm thinking, great, I can go back to work. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Many survivors are able to access medical help quickly, but for some, the correct diagnosis is slow to come, which can have a serious impact on a stroke survivor's ability to recover. In this episode, we'll hear the first of two parts of an extraordinary account from Meredith McMurray from Sausalito in California. Meredith suffered a stroke at the age of 30. I've been a professional aerial acrobat for six or seven years. I had been training and then after a while working actively and professionally as an aerial acrobat. So I first was doing aerial silks and rope, mostly vertical apparatus. And then I started learning lira and trapeze and then pole. And I began to work in gentlemen's clubs because in the beginning, I was thinking it would be fun to have a place to practice my pole skills. (laughs) So that proved to be true and had a lot of interesting experiences. I was working when I had my first aneurysm. Like, I had good health. The only thing that I had sort of complained about, I used to have a lot of migraines. So I'm a lifelong migraine sufferer and I would get migraines with aura. So I'd get these blind spots as like a part of a normal symptom for my migraines. And so I had done... I mean, a million different things to try to figure out how to ease them or how to manage them, how to at least be able to work. Although she had a history of migraines, Meredith's stroke hit unexpectedly one evening while she was working. It was a normal day, maybe around 10 p.m., so like kind of early. And I was giving a dance with my friend. So it was two dancers giving a dance to one client upstairs, and it was meant to last for three songs long. So like a couple of days before that, I had this throbbing pain in my shoulder, which I didn't think anything of because I'm very active. Obviously, if I'm not performing, then I'm training and I'm constantly, you know, soreness is par for the course. But one 
weird part of the pattern of this pain was that at some moments it would just disappear. Like it would hurt and hurt and hurt. And I thought, oh, it feels like muscle soreness. But then it would disappear, like totally disappear and then come back and then feel like this throbbing pain in my shoulder. So anyway, fast forwarding back to April 8, 2018, that same pain in my shoulder in like such a fast motion, it like swam up my neck and exploded into my head. And this pain was like, I just, I don't know how to describe this pain. It was like, I was in so much pain. It was almost like I did some kind of dissociating thing where the pain was like this entity bearing down on me. It felt like kind of from the left, but it was really like full existence pain. Like it was in my head, yes, but like I don't remember moving at all. I don't remember saying anything to anybody. I couldn't. I couldn't speak. I couldn't explain what was happening. I just could, all I could do was just behold this pain. And the only thing I remember thinking was like, at what point do I die? Like, this is so much pain. And here's the even crazier part is, like I said, the dance my friend and I were up there giving to this gentleman lasted for three songs. So that pain came and left completely within that time span. So by the time the dance was done, the pain was gone, and I finished the dance, said goodbye to this guy, and moved on, and I finished my shift that night. So that was crazy, right? And then the next day, I was always meant to show up for my shift at 7 p.m. I remember, you know, around 6, as I'm getting ready for work, I felt too dizzy to drive myself. And so, yeah, I remembered that this crazy thing happened to my head, <laughs> like, the day before, but I, I didn't tell anybody, and I didn't complain I have a history of taking care of myself. I'm just very used to taking care of myself. So I didn't know what to say to anybody at work. Nobody there is a medical professional. And I lived alone and I was single. So I took a lift back to work the next day. And I was feeling dizzy, but I thought, it's okay, I'm going to work anyways. The migraines throughout my life, I'm constantly having to manage weird head stuff and not tell anybody. Because with injuries that you can't see, people are very dismissive. So I made it back to work the next day. And I was sitting with a client who's someone familiar to me. I'd seen him before. And he's a really sweet guy. And he likes to talk a lot. So he's sitting there talking and talking and talking. And I started realizing that I couldn't understand him. And my head was doing this sensation of like, all I could be aware of was like the middle of my head. It was like this very clear left to right, just feeling on the inside of my head. And then the left side was feeling like hot wax or like maybe some kind of warm wax and I was just feeling this feeling like my head was like melting off on the left side I remember I did not feel scared I did not feel anxious like I didn't really feel anything about it I just knew I needed to maybe like go to the hospital <laughs> like so I went downstairs and talked to my house mom who's you know she's a lady on staff downstairs who helps dancers with this or that. So I went downstairs and I was wearing seven inch platform heels. I wasn't too far. I was pretty close to the door to the dressing room, but then I had to go downstairs. And I just remember like all I could think was like, just go one step at a time, you know, and I didn't think to maybe take the shoes off or anything. Anyway, I made it to 
the house mom's office and I let her know that my head feels so weird and I don't really know anything. I know I was walking and I know that I was able to like hold my bag, but I needed her to do my locker combination to get my stuff out of the locker. I didn't even know what I needed. So like she luckily knew to like get my purse and like whatever other maybe backpack I had. And then the driver at the club took me to the emergency room. For Meredith, her initial experience in hospital was not a positive one. When I got to the emergency room, I'm, again, in a pretty okay mood. Like, I wasn't scared and I wasn't crying or anything. And I had a face full of stripper makeup, let's just be honest. Like, I had really good setting spray, so I'm sure it looked excellent and I'm sure I looked like I was maybe fine I was trying to explain it to the nurse what was going on and for whatever reason like I just remember this lady who is the nurse being so mean to me you know and the only thing I could say in advocation for myself was that please don't administer any migraine medication to me because I know I have allergy to certain ones of those like heavy duty opiates that they use sometimes. So I was like clear about that. And I, I went in there with these symptoms and I'm like, yes, I have a history of migraines, but I've never felt the complete disorientation. Like I've not been that disoriented with a migraine before. And also there wasn't any pain at that point. Like other than the day before that one clap incident, that was pain, but I wasn't feeling pain when I walked in the door of the ER. Meredith's stroke was initially misdiagnosed. I don't really remember a lot, except for the attitude of this nurse. Like, the doctor came in, looked at me, didn't have a lot to say, and of course didn't look like he cared, which doesn't mean that he didn't care, but like, yeah, didn't have any additional questions really for me. They weren't suspicious of a stroke, which is fair because neither was I. I was 30 years old at the time. Like, I certainly didn't say, hey, I think I'm having a stroke, you know. It was the farthest thing from my mind, to be honest with you. I'm healthy. My blood pressure's always been good. I'm an acrobat. So I ended up, as I was laying there, I agreed to let them put saline solution into my veins, so using an intravenous saline solution, which I was nervous about because I know how they can just slip drugs in there too. But I was like, I'm consenting to saline solution only. And they put in the IV. And then at some point, I just remember another one of those painful clap sensations. And I just started screaming with the pain this time. I was actually able to scream and then that's all I could do was scream. I couldn't move my hands or my legs at all. None of it. And even my throat, I began to kind of choke on my throat. Like I could blow air out of my throat through my lungs. But the moment I would swallow, I couldn't open it back up again. So the only way to get my throat back open would be to scream, actually. So I was like choking on my own throat and I'm screaming. And then at that point in time, they did put all these drugs into the IV. And so my medical records show, you know, I had to look over all this stuff later. They put three different types of heavy-duty migraine drugs into my system, you know, against my will, and I passed out. That is the last thing I remember is like, holy crap, I think I'm like gonna die, right? Like, this is it. I couldn't really breathe. I couldn't control my body. These doctors didn't care. I was scared. I feel like I was like more or less left to die. So I passed out and 
Next thing I know, I'm being rudely woken up by the same nurse. She's yelling at me. She told me literally, I've let you stay too long. You have to go now. I don't remember what I said at this time because I was very, first of all, doped up. And also, as it turned out, I had had a stroke and didn't know it. And what happened was I couldn't really walk on my own. So the other nurse, who was a nice guy who hadn't said much at all the night before, I asked him, I was like, can you please help me out? I actually don't even know if I can walk. And so he helped me out, you know, held my arm, sat me on the curb outside the hospital and then left me there. Unfortunately for Meredith, her history of having severe migraines may have masked her stroke symptoms and she was unable to access appropriate treatment or recovery services in the days following her stroke. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Meredith explains some of the after-effects she began to experience. My left leg felt like it was full of molasses. It was gummy, it was weak at first. I could like hobble on it as if the leg itself were like a cane or something. Like I couldn't really bend and I couldn't really balance on it. And she talks about using her work to help her rehabilitation. After about two weeks of being back to work, I was back on stage. So I was able to do pole work. Um, at like three weeks after surviving a stroke. Um, I'm just saying I was able. Should I have been? I don't know. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Let's hear how Meredith coped with the first night back at home after her stroke. I made it to my apartment. I have stairs at the time. And so I remember limping. Okay, my left leg was not... I could stand on it. There was something up with my ability to balance on that leg. And it was weak. It was very weak at the time. So I very slowly make it to the stairs. And I remember having to crawl my belly up the stairs to find my two sweet dogs. And they had been left alone all night unexpectedly. I couldn't obviously call their dog walker or anything. So came home to a living room with pee and poo in it. And, you know, that was terrifying. And I couldn't even do anything about it. So I just remember going to my bed at that point in time and being like, I don't even know what to do because I didn't know how to operate my phone very well. It's like I couldn't understand, like, how to call my mom. So nobody knew that this was happening to me at all. A couple hours after I got home, I felt this need to vomit. And so I crawl my belly off my bed and I go to the floor and I had this basset hound. He thought I was playing a game or something or he knew that something was wrong. This is where I get emotional because he was on the floor because he's a basset hound. You know, they're really low to the ground, long-eared dogs. And he's like trying to see what was up with me. But I had to throw up. So I'm like panicking because I'm about to throw up on my basset hound. And the problem was I couldn't make it around him or over him to get to the toilet because he's a big guy. He was like 60-pound basset hound. And he's being all sweet, trying to sniff me, trying to like comfort me. And I'm like, I need you to move and I can't move you. But it was just so sweet that like at that that moment he was the only one that really cared you know or that knew about me so 
after that, it was like later that night that I finally muster up the ability to call my mom or to text my mom. I didn't even call her. For some reason, I didn't even call her. and I don't know why. But again, I'm like inside my own brain, right? I'm like alone inside my brain trying to figure out how to do anything. And I finally text my mom and I have the text thread to this day. All I could say was, mom, I was at the hospital last night. I don't know what happened, but I really need some help. My mom finally shows up. She was feeding me, which was good because I didn't eat that entire day. You know, she's my mother, right? Like, she's happy to help. But I think nobody knew what was wrong with me. And she didn't really have the resources to be able to, like, care for me the way that I needed it. Neither of us knew that I really should have still been at the hospital, probably. Like, my mother was with me, and I still didn't even have that level of care because I was misdiagnosed. Like, she's thinking I was um, faking it or being too dramatic, but I certainly didn't have the appropriate care. While at home, Meredith began to feel the full effects of her stroke. My left leg felt like it was full of molasses. It was gummy. It was weak at first. I could like hobble on it as if the leg itself were like a cane or something. Like I couldn't really bend and I couldn't really balance on it. Another symptom that I had, which I thought was weird, was extreme pain in my SI joint and my hips. Like anytime I would go to stand up from the position of sitting, it like hurt. I also, and here's the main symptom, is that I had a massive blind spot in my vision that to me looked a lot like the aura I would get when I had migraine headaches. But it, it was large. It was large and it stayed. So when I have a migraine, those blind spots last maybe 30 minutes to an hour. But this one at the time, you know, it was going on for days and days and eventually months and months. And yeah, I still had this like neurological blind spot. At the time, the size of it was like, if you were holding a basketball in your own two hands, you know, with a slight bend in your arm, that's about the size of the amount of vision I was missing with that blind spot. It was right beneath my focal point. Thank goodness I didn't lose vision in my focal point, but it was the area beneath my focal point. Although she didn't receive professional help, Meredith was able to rehabilitate herself through her work. Six days later, I went back to work. <laughs> I limped back to work. And let me just say it to you like this. Like, I loved my job. Like, working at the Gentleman's Club in San Francisco, I loved it. And so I didn't know what had happened. The doctors told me it was just a migraine, so I'm thinking, great, I can go back to work. <laughs> so I remember the day before I actually went back to work to actually work, I remember I took a lift just to go there. First of all, I I wanted to be in the car because I hadn't been outside in like five days at that point. I took the lift and I went to work before they opened and I just said hi and hugged my manager and then told him I still don't think I can work today. And then I limped right back out, you know, and then the next day. I was back to work. They gave me the okay to not do any stage work because, yeah, pull or like dancing. I was not able to do that, but I was able to walk. I was able to wear seven inch platform heels, stiletto platform heels. I'm so grateful that it worked out this way, considering because my ability to integrate had some really interesting possible implications to like maybe how fast I was able to recover. And, you know, I was able to continue earning money, which was really, really good. I was certainly not in a place. I did not have enough savings at that moment to be able to go super long without working. And I was paying rent at an apartment in San Francisco. So there's like not a lot of give there. 
I went back to work. I still had a bit of vertigo too. I was like dizzy. I had the blind spot, but I was able to see a little bit. And if guests would ever ask me what was wrong with me, I would I would pretend, I would lie and just say, oh my God, I just drank so much already. I'm like, <laughs> I would pretend to be drunk. And that worked actually. Because my goal as a dancer, you know, at a club like that is like to entertain the guests. And what's great about it is even though I was recovering from a stroke and had no idea, I was able to put my mind to use in a way that was like not technical. Like I'm not dealing with computers or paperwork but I was able to put my mind in a really positive place like hey my job is to entertain this guest so let me just be playful be affectionate and there's minimal contact allowed at that club but I think that the capacity to be able to like hold someone's hand um and to just you know offer dances and stuff like that like so it's it's a movement-based job so all that stuff I think was really helpful for me After about two weeks of being back to work, I was back on stage. So I was able to do pole work um, at like three weeks after surviving a stroke. Um, I'm just saying I was able. Should I have been? I don't know. You know, I never had a professional tell me. (laughs) Like if it was safe or what to even expect going forward. But I was. I was flawlessly doing a lot of the same tricks that I knew how to do before. I was, you know, again, I'm an aerial acrobat. So I was doing flag off the side of the pole, climbing upside down. And it was 18 feet high. So a total of three weeks after the stroke, I was back on the pole And then, you know, it wasn't more than a week or two after that was I feeling actually all the way back in my abilities with my body to to do pole work. Coming up in part two of Meredith's Stroke Story. My primary care doctor called me in a panic and was like, do you have any head pain? And I'm like, no. And she's just like, one of your arteries has been breached and we found blood spilled in your brain. We need you to come in right away. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know a stroke survivor and would like to share a story with us, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.